Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to episode eight of the One Giant Mind podcast. We're still at Andrea Stern's beautiful loft apartment in downtown New York, and her partner, Kenny, who normally sits quietly at the back, just listening, taking everything in, decided to step into the hot seat and ask some pretty tough questions. One starting off with the subject of faith, but not in a typical sense, as you would imagine when we hear the word faith. We dived into a a different dimension of it that is really revealing of the way in which we bring ourselves into the world on a day-to-day basis. So let's dive in. So Johnny, as I'm sitting here listening to everything we've been discussing, and I can't help but keep going back to one word, which you have not used, but... I think it's at the core of everything, and that's faith. What do you mean by faith? Well, I know it's a, it's a loaded word, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it, 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 it automatically kind of brings up religious overtones, but I don't mean it necessarily in that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everything you're talking about requires, I think, someone to have faith that it will work, right? That these things, because these are intangible. You're putting, you're trying to put language and words to forces and feelings and um, processes that have no language, right? Not like other disciplines. And that's just a leap of faith, right? So I first thought of the word faith when you talked about as a young kid, you just breathe through these anxiety filled moments and you just kind of knew it was going to be okay because of that. That's faith, right? That's almost, that's like staring in the face. So confronted with somebody who has no faith or lack of it, how do you inspire it? How do you recognize it? Mm. Um, uh, How do you maintain it? Mm. Uh, If, that's a word you would even describe what I'm, what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if faith is in your lexicon or not, but how do you inspire just the overwhelming feeling that things will be okay if mm. I kind of practice this, this modality, this meditation process or, or, or whatever it is. Um, and then later in the series with the uh, leadership, that's when it really kind of came out. You know, you're talking about, effective leaders and how to be, what is leadership? And that's really a contract of faith, leadership and someone who's following somebody. That's all contract that's really rooted in the faith, faith that that person um, is morally sound, is kind of correct, leading us in the right direction, and vice versa, that the people that I'm speaking to will honor what I'm saying and understand it and use it in a way that is for the greater good. So I just was wondering if you could talk about that relationship and, you know, more specifically, how do you recognize it and know it's there, inspire it? Yeah. How do you, you cultivate know, that how experience? How do you cul- cultivate that mm. experience, which can't be described, right? Cause it's so personal and individual. Yeah. So, uh, it's a really great point that you bring up. When you make reference to the experience that I had as a kid, I felt like my back was to the wall and 
I felt quite choiceless in the way in which I had to confront what I was experiencing and what I was feeling. I was so overwhelmed by the sensations that I felt choiceless. I, it was like, I, I must interact with this. It was so overbearing. It was either go insane or confront it. So is that a requirement then? To, to, to be, to, is, is, is it a requirement? Is it necessity? Hmm. I mean, this, is, this is the can of worms we're going to open. Yeah. yeah. So I was already questioning the, the dependability of reality hmm. in a big way. I felt quite that the, the anxiety was this feeling of hopelessness and a withering faith in what I took for granted in the early stages of my life as the given love, nurturing, kindness, encouragement, all of these things started to be replaced with the imposition of worldviews, belief systems, behaviors. And I'm like, this doesn't feel good. This actually hurts. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Ow. To the extent that I became so overwhelmed with anxiety that I was that I was forced to have to go somewhere new inside of myself in order to process the experience. Now, this is a very interesting thing. As a result of being choiceless, I was able to discover something inside of myself, this repose from the anxiety, a deeper well of awareness, a deeper experience that was kind of beyond the, the gross sensations of my physical body and the influence of the anxiety on my mind. I was able to move past it. Quite an extraordinary thing when I think back on it, given, you know, how long that, that, that's required to, to learn and cultivate as an adult, being a teacher of that now. I think the fact that I was so young and just felt the the instinctive you know flow towards that it was easier for me to do it as a child for some reason it's it's an, it's a hard thing to rationalize actually mm. um and i don't i don't bother with it these days it's not it's not so important to me um however what it revealed to me is and continues to reveal to me in terms of a narrative that plays out in you know the human drama is that we tend not to discover deeper dimensions of ourselves until we hit some kind of crisis point. So that's, that's just, you know, and, and what I discovered was through repetition, an experience of knowingness of who I was and what my capability was to resolve an anxiety in me. And so I, I don't use the word faith in that, in that particular context because it wasn't faith that made me go there. It was survival. Mm. 
It was a crisis that forced me into a state. It wasn't like a belief in something. I'd almost abandoned my faith, to be honest with you, which is also a very interesting thing, which we'll talk about in a minute. And so what I learned over time was that that which was dependable to me was that which I could verify through my own senses. I relied less and less on the expectation for people to behave in a particular kind of way in order for me to feel okay with what was going on in the present moment. And this is a very interesting principle. Now, to contextualize and to demonstrate that I understand the principle that you're talking about when you refer to faith, what I find astounding is the amount of faith that we entrust, we invest in each other. I walk across a road every single day with the faith that the person driving the vehicle is going to hit the brake while I'm crossing the road. I'm putting my life in strangers' hands every single moment of every single day. I have faith that the chair that I'm sitting in was constructed with a sense of care and diligence so that whomever came to sit in it is not going to get an injured back as a result of it crumbling underneath me. The water that I drink, the food that I eat, the air that I breathe, the clothes that I wear, every single thing that we do on a daily basis requires a massive investment of trust and faith. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, to me, this, this kind of trust and faith is intrinsic in our human nature. And there is a layer of it. Uh, and so that, 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 that trust is led by a, what I believe, a, a universal morality that is experienced as our conscience. And for the, for the most part, most of the time, we feel comfortable that that's not going to be violated. However, <laughs> what we're noticing increasingly is that there is an aspect of the human psyche that can willingly violate that morality, that conscience, ignore it, deny it, for the pursuit of power and personal gain. We're watching that happen everywhere. And the more we look into the condition of our world, the more we start to realize, wow, we, you know, we've really kind of gone off the garden path here of our conscience. And more and more, certain members of the human race are becoming increasingly more bold in their willingness to outrightly violate our humanity. And as a result, it's, uh, are causing all kinds of terrible things to happen and wear away at the very fabric of this intrinsic faith that we lend each other, we, we give to each other on a day-to-day on -day basis. It, 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 it tears at the fabric 
we can become increasingly more despondent and uh, have a sense of faithlessness in the in the good of humanity the the strength and potency of that thing we call the conscience it feels like the sacredness of our humanity is losing its value how we how we trade at the expense of our humanity and this is the thing that i think collectively creates the heaviest burden on us whether we're conscious of it or not, we know we are violating our humanity, our economies, our trade, the exploitation of resources, the way in which we, you know, generate industry, profit, are quite often at the expense of humanity. And it's completely natural it's a natural reaction to have, to feel a sense of despondency and for it to violate what you refer to as this, this faith, which I also, in that respect, refer to it as faith. I put my, my trust and my faith in you. And what I'm saying is I put my trust and faith in your humanity. And when that trust and faith is violated, it's not our humanity that's violating it. It is the disconnection from our humanity that's violating it. And this is such an important point to highlight because a big part of our collective self-loathing is the belief that our humanity is flawed. It's not our humanity that is flawed. It is our denial of our humanity that, it, that causes us to behave in ways that appear like our humanity is flawed. And it is so important for our healing as a race, that we make that clear distinction. When we're in our humanity, we are extraordinary, dependable. It's, 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 it's a force, the, that force of love is undeniable. We cannot resist it. Once we, we let it flow, it, it's, it, it, it dictates to us how we live. When we're in denial of it, and some people have been brought up quite violently, to ignore it, they're punished if they connect with it. Some people in power right now are very much fit that, that model. They're incapable of actually acting with conscience. They move into that place and it is terrifying, painful for them to connect with any authentic expression of benevolence and care and love that might serve the greater good because they're being programmed that way. And so when we look at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, wow, this is really complex. <laughs> How do we negotiate this? How do we navigate this space? And there's no easy answer in so much as there's no real short-term solution to the, to the problem. There is a long-term solution that requires absolute dedication and commitment to the cultivation, to the nurturing and the cultivation of our humanity. And what does it mean to be human? To recognize that we belong to each other. We have an intrinsic responsibility to each other. 
And that when we honor that and we live from that place, we immediately see the evidence of transformation out of our lower impulses and instincts that cause us to mistrust each other, to second-guess each other, to doubt each other, and to preempt behavior that is in violation of our conscience. And in that preemption, sell ourselves short. We begin to participate in what we preempt. And so we, we manufacture a whole dynamic. That's the nature of defensiveness is we're preempting. And so the question is, you know, how do we, how do we cultivate that faith, which is conscience? I call it conscience. Mm-hmm. How do we cultivate our conscience? And the only way that we can cultivate our conscience is to honor it is to unconditionally be devoted to it as a, almost as a religion. Well, not almost as a religion, as a religion. Make your conscience, make your your love for your own humanity and for the humanity of everybody, your religion. Despite what your belief systems are, this transcends belief systems. This transcends everything. And the extent to which you are dedicated and devoted is self-evident in the transaction of every relationship in the present moment. I choose to move beyond your inclination to doubt me. My desire to want to connect, love, and support you is not dependent on you believing on whether I am faithful or not. This is the leap we need to take. This is like leadership. This comes back to that principle. I lead with love, not because you love me back, but because if I don't, I'm going to perpetuate the drama. I'm choiceless. If I want to live a life of misery, then I'll doubt you. If I want to live a fulfilling life that is going to transform the world, then I will lead from love. I will take on the responsibility of my power to influence people with love. And so this is the only way that I know how to cultivate that experience of faith is to inspire it in people for people to see it in me. And for me to cultivate my faith despite my hurt, my pain, my disappointment, requires that I spend time with those feelings. And again, take responsibility for them and go, I have given my power away somewhere here. Where did I give it away? At what point did I become so indoctrinated in the belief that someone outside of me could do a better job at leading my conscience than me. Because when we hand our power over to something outside of ourselves, we are also handing over our conscience. And that's why it feels like such a violation. 
And most of the time, these people that we are voting in don't under, don't understand that. They're not evolved enough to to understand the implications, the responsibility, and to have the level of sensitivity to 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 comprehend the level of disappointment and hurt that they can create in people. It's a game for them of personal pursuit of power and and, and stuff. <laughs> How do we reverse that situation? Slowly but surely become empowered in ourself, live that way, and then make choices from that place. And if there is a position within society that has a gaping hole, then ask yourself the question, can I fill that? Or can I support somebody that looks like a prime candidate to fill that? Can I contribute? How can I contribute in a way that's going to slowly build the infrastructure that enables this way of being to flourish? But at the end of the day, it always comes back down to us. standout point for me in this conversation is the principle of not being dependent on the outside world to give you permission to be who you are, who you know yourself to be. And when we're able to let go of the attachment or the need for the world to be a particular way to give you permission to be who you are, this is the gateway to really reclaiming our power. And no longer are we dependent on blind faith of the world needing to be a particular way in order for us to be who we want to be. Special thanks to our show producer, Trevor Exter, Sean Tomlin, our composer, Ali Lieberman, and of course, Andrea Stern for letting us record in her beautiful space and all the team at One Giant Mind. A little reminder, at the end of every episode, take some time to really reflect on some of the key points that stood out to you and ask yourself, how can I apply this in my daily life right now? This is really the purpose of this podcast, to really shift the needle on your personal journey. If some of the content spiked your interest in meditation and you don't already have a meditation practice, then please go and download the One Giant Mind Learn to Meditate app. It's a very elegant way of learning how to meditate in 12 steps. And finally, if you are somebody who has a solid meditation practice and feels called to learn how to become a meditation teacher, please visit our website and learn all about our One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Academy. We'd love to train you. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode.